The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So to preface this story, I'm a paramedic and I have been for about 10 years. Working in emergency medicine, you get to see the weirdest and the worst of people, so it's not too uncommon for these types of stories to exist. However, in my 10 years, I have never experienced pure terror incarnate like I had about 6 years ago. I won't be revealing specific or identifying details as it pertains to privacy and HIPAA. This may be a bit long too, but I hope it's worth the listen. So, about six years ago, I moved to another city for work. I worked for a 911 ambulance service that responded to calls in the city, as well as the country, which had a few other small towns. The city itself was not a large city, sub 100,000 people, I would say. Working for that service required working 24-hour shifts, though, It wasn't particularly busy. Maybe you'd get 5-10 to calls in 24 hours and generally get some decent sleep at night. This city was a pretty rough place as the oil industry had boomed there, which drew all sorts of folks from around the country to work in the oil fields nearby. But one night in January, me and my partner, who was an EMT basic, received a call in the next town over. It was about 2am when the call came out and the only information that we had was that a person in an apartment called 911 after hearing the downstairs neighbour screaming for help. We responded emergent as the details were very limited. When we arrived on scene, the police and the fire department were already there and we were getting ready to make entrance into the building with them. The person who called 911 was there and told us which apartment she heard the screaming from. We attempted to pound on the door at first to get the resident to come to the door. When no one answered, the fire department got ready to spread the door and make entry. Luckily though, the landlord showed up and he gave us a key to get into the unit. And as we opened that door, the creepiness started. The apartment was pitch black, not a single light as if no one was home. The police entered first and with our flashlights we followed. Looking around the apartment, the kitchen and the dining room looked like a hoarder's nest. 
I'm not exaggerating too when I say that there were literally five foot tall mountains of garbage, food, dishes in the kitchen and the same in the living room, but with magazines and clothes and garbage just everywhere. And this meant that there was only a very narrow walkway to navigate this apartment. Officers proceeded down the hallway ahead where the bedroom and the bathroom were. One of the officers stopped at the bathroom door as there was a light shining from underneath. The officer opened the door and just stood in the hallway. And with a flat tone, he said, she's in here. I walk in first into the bathroom and the first thing that I notice is the peculiarity of the light in the bathroom. It's a, a very pale yellow light coming from a single bulb in the ceiling, similar to those old heat lamps that used to be common in bathrooms. The light gave off a really odd vibe as it was just so unnatural. But the next thing I notice is the lack of anything in the bathroom. No floor mats, no toilet cover, no towels, no knickknacks, just nothing. Empty, in fact. Except the vanity which contained the sink on top and in the bowl of the sink were approximately 20 to 30 makeup bottles piled up. Some were opened and leaking causing there to be powders and liquids everywhere and the last thing that I noticed was the body of an elderly woman lying naked in the tub. As I walk closer I can see her lying on her side nearly in the fetal position her skin is pale and there's about 8 inches of water in the tub. Looking at her face, her eyes were closed and her head is against the bottom of the tub with her mouth and nose completely submerged under the water. My partner steps in behind me. He suggests that we call the coroner and inform them of the body. Two officers pile into the bathroom behind my partner so there's four of us up in this tiny bathroom with me next to this lady in the tub. And with me being who I am, I decide to do my due diligence and at least make sure the lady is dead. So I kneel down next to the tub and reach my arm in and put my fingers on her neck, attempting to check for a pulse. And in an instant, without warning or the slightest hint of movement, this woman springs up out of the tub with the agility and speed of like a feral cat. The only reaction I was able to manage was just to stand up as quick as possible and I just stood there staring at her. She stared back at me, eyes wide as can be, before she started just screaming at me. She attempted to cover herself with her hands as best as she could while still sitting in the water. I quickly look around and notice that everyone else who was in the bathroom with me has bolted out of there, not a single soul in sight. I try to steel myself and try calming the lady down, telling her who I was and why I was there. She denied screaming and told me that she does this every morning as she had some kind of joint condition and soaking in warm water helps ease her joint pain. Now, at this point, I have my doubts and I have to question this woman's sanity for sure. So I question her regarding self-harm and address what potentially could be interpreted as suicidal behavior. She denies all of it though. And the next step is to determine her mental capacity to ensure that she's in the right frame of mind and to make reasonable and appropriate decisions. She answers all of my other questions appropriately and at this point, per the law, she's able to refuse any and all care as she's mentally sound. I do ask her if she'll at least let me check her vitals so that I can be sure that she's healthy and I can add it to my report. She vehemently refuses though and tells me to get out of her house which she has the right to. I acknowledge that and I have her sign a refusal of service form. 
and as I leave the bathroom, my partner, the two officers that were in the bathroom with me, along with the two other officers and firefighters that were waiting in the apartment, they're all just sort of staring at me with eyes wide and gaping mouths, speechless. In the end, I don't say a word and we all leave the apartment. Once we're all outside though, I had the most uneasy and uncontrolled fit of laughter that I've ever had. My partner and the officers started laughing too, but I honestly thought that I may have even crapped myself. My partner told me later that all he remembers is seeing her move, hearing me say, oh crap, which I don't even remember, and running out of the bathroom. And you know, I wish that I could say that I never saw this lady again, but that would be untrue. So this one should be a bit shorter since you already have the backstory. But like I said, after this call I was just sort of able to laugh about it once my heart stopped racing. I figured that I would never have to see this lady again and that gave me a lot of comfort. I told the story several times to family, friends and co-workers just because of the sheer shock value. But this part of the story I've only really told to a couple of people because most probably can't stomach it, so be warned, this will contain some pretty graphic content or imagery. So about three months after the first call with the bathtub lady, I'm working with another EMT basic partner, and not the same one as before, but he is well aware of the story. So the day is going by like normal, and nightfall comes. I'm hoping to get some sleep as generally night is a little calmer. Each of our stations have a few bedrooms with twin beds to allow us to at least sleep somewhat comfortably. I take off my boots and I lay down and doze. I always keep my radio turned way up and by my head so I can wake up if we get a call. And sure enough, tones drop on the radio and I wake up. Looking at the clock, it's around 4am. Radio traffic requests the ambulance for a welfare check on an individual who hasn't been seen for a while. Me and my partner get up, put our boots on, and we start responding to the address. As we get closer though, I start recognizing the area. And before I even see the building, I tell my partner, I swear to you that if this is the same lady, and he just laughs and we continue. As we pull up on the scene, yep... It's that same building. At this point, my heart starts to race again. A few officers are already on the scene. As I get out of the ambulance, one of the officers comes up and tells me, Hey, uh, the lady that we're here for has a, a friend that works at the gas station nearby here. The friend told 911 that the lady usually comes and visits him every day, but that the friend hasn't seen her in a few weeks. The officer also tells me that there's an odor coming from the apartment complex. Now, if you work in EMS or have been around such, you know what that means. And if not, I won't spoil it just yet. So I ask the officer if she's familiar with this person or has heard the story of the last encounter. The officer tells me that she's not, but her two co-workers behind her, they were actually on the original call with me and are smiling, but not saying a word. I tell the officer who the person is and our last run-in with her, the officer just raises her eyebrow a bit and says okay. So we approach the apartment complex yet again and as I open the main door you can immediately smell the odor permeating through the entire complex. We walk downstairs to the door of this lady's apartment. 
I bang on the door a few times and shout, ambulance. No response. Officers bang on the door. No response again. We try to get a hold of the landlord again to give us access, but he's unavailable. Over the radio, I request the fire department and request that they bring the door spreader. The fire department arrives and they come downstairs and set up the door spreader. If you don't know what a door spreader is, it's basically a tool that the fire department places between the two door jams, and they use a lever to start pressing the door jams apart, freeing the latch from the door frame so you can get in. And as they finally get the door open, that awful wafting smell just spills out into the apartment. Same thing as last time though, pitch black in the apartment, piles of garbage all around the apartment five feet high that barely allow you to move through, Though, this time, it's a bit different because there are thousands of flies buzzing around. Again, the officers enter first with us following with our flashlights. One of the male officers gets down the hallway to the bathroom and opens the door. He looks back to me, shakes his head and continues forward. My EMT partner, who is pretty new, is right behind me. I turn to him and tell him to wait in the hallway and that I'll let him know if I need him. I was trying to be nice and spare him. The officer continues down the hallway toward the bedroom. At this point, the anxiety is increasing because now we're in uncharted territory and once again, I have no idea what we're going to find. The officer eventually makes it to the bedroom. I see him shine his light into the bedroom and then uses the bend of his elbow to cover his mouth and nose and he waves me over. As I walk to him, the smell just gets stronger. I peer into the bedroom with my flashlight and that was when I saw her. The bedroom is actually set up so that the bed is right in the middle of the room with the head pressed against the wall. So there's some space on either side and at the foot of the bed. Or at least there would be if the floors weren't filled up to the height of the bed with clothes and magazines and books and food and garbage and just everything you can imagine. At the foot of the bed are two large four foot tall piles of just random crap that at the base are probably four feet in diameter. I know that it's hard to visualize this but picture two large cone-shaped mounds side by side at the foot of the bed and in the tiny space between the two huge mounds and the foot of the bed lies bathtub lady. Now this lady is a very small old lady and when I saw her the first time, she maybe weighed 90 pounds. She was also a white lady. But stunned for a moment, I stand there next to the officer and just sort of look. Because this is the part that gets, well, pretty gross. So bathtub lady is lying perfectly on her back with her arms folded up and crossed in front of her like you would see a skeleton doing in the movies. Bathtub lady's skin looks almost like paper. It's dried out and shrunken, turning black and rotting. But the level of decomposition from her is one that I hadn't seen before. Her hip bones were visible where the skin had cracked and receded. Her kneecaps were coming through her skin. A few ribs were just barely visible poking through the skin on the sides of her upper abdomen. And her hair was beginning to fall out. Her lips were gone. Her eyes were gone. I got a bit closer to look and all I kept thinking was, if you wake up, this officer is probably going to draw and shoot you in the head. I walked up a little closer to look nevertheless. 
She was almost perfectly preserved, like a, a mummy or something. There was absolutely nothing left of her eyes. The sockets were completely empty with the exception of maggots crawling around in the sockets. From behind me were a couple of quiet, muffled gags, and I walked back out to my partner. I tell him, Hey, uh, sorry man, but we need the body bag, and I'm gonna need your help in here. And everyone walks outside to get some fresh air. The officer that was in the bathroom with me gagged a few more times outside, but luckily didn't vomit. The one good thing about this, though, is that we had recently been given these really nice PAPR respirators from FEMA for a, a recent Ebola outbreak. My partner grabbed the body bag, and I grabbed the PAPRs. We put our gear on, and we walked back inside. The officer that was with me, like a true champ, came back inside without a respirator as well and held the flashlight for us. Me and my partner had to spend 10 minutes just clearing out all of the trash so that we had enough room to put the body bag down next to the bathtub lady. Once we got enough room, the sketchy part came. If you've ever seen a body with that amount of decomposition, then you know that it's very brittle. We attempted to move her as carefully as we could as to not break anything. However, when we attempted to move her, she was stuck. And honestly, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. I was at the head, my partner was at the feet trying to move her over. I put my arms down her back and neck to support the head so that it didn't break off. I got down to look as we lifted to see what we were getting stuck on. And as I lifted, I saw, but it was already too late. As I lifted, the skin on her back was stuck to the carpet. So as I lifted, it started peeling off her ribs and spine. We had no other choice though, as we were unable to cut the carpet at this time. So as we lifted her up, all of the skin came off her back and stayed stuck to the floor, almost like some sort of sick chalk outline which, when I saw it, what seemed to be like thousands of maggots crawling around on the inside of her skin between the skin and her back came pouring out. Well, we moved her gently into the bag, luckily not breaking anything. We got the bag out and into the ambulance where we would then transport her to the funeral home with our windows rolled down and emergent, so we wouldn't have to stay in the ambulance as long as possible. So... That's my story of Bathtub Lady, and I'm sorry for the gross details, but it's all sort of part of the story. What we figured, though, is that she must have died shortly after our first encounter with her, and that we may have been the last ones to actually see her alive. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So for some background, I live in the UK and go to a school with a uniform. I go to quite a large all-girls school with about eight classes of 30 per year, with five years and a sixth form attached, so I've heard about creeps lingering outside of the school before, but they're usually sorted out quite quickly by school staff. At the time, I was in year 9, so just 13 and about 4-9. I had a big homework assignment due, and because I didn't have a computer at home, I stayed late at school to do it at the ICT suite. As it was the beginning of the school year, it was relatively dark at 5pm, which is when I got out of school and this event took place. So the bus stop outside my school was a fairly busy place, but there were a couple of other people and me, I had my back up against a fence and I noticed a man under the bus stop, facing away from but next to the road and opposite the fence that I was leaning on. I was aware of my surroundings as I had previous experiences with old creeps here and I'm just generally a bit of a paranoid person as it is. The man didn't strike me as particularly interesting but I did notice him glare over at me from the corner of my eye. I then saw a bus and assumed it was mine so I stepped forward to check it wasn't my bus, which was annoying as I was cold and didn't have a coat at the time. But as I went to step back up against the fence, I almost stood back into the man that was under the bus stop originally, because he had moved to directly behind me, and he had his arm against the pole next to the bus stop now, the one that tells you when the buses come to the bus stop and whatnot. I felt a bit cornered to be honest, but couldn't really move as the other side of me had all the people waiting to get on this bus that was coming. It felt like forever too as I could feel this man's breath on the top of my head as I watched the bus come and go and collect all the other people at the bus stop but it was probably only a minute and a half I would guess. Once the last person got on that bus I quickly moved out of this man's area and back up against the fence. He moved so that he was back under the bus stop sitting across from me just staring at the ground. At last though my bus finally came after about three minutes like that. I didn't want to give away the fact that I was getting on this bus, but I had to wave it down, so I stood next to the road to signal it over. As I did, though, my heart really got racing when I noticed that the man was back behind me. I had already got my bus card out and scanned it very quickly and only saw a few people downstairs. Normally, there might be a few people upstairs, so that's where I headed. And that was a wise decision or mistake. I don't know to be honest, but I got up there and it was completely empty. Great, I thought. Well, I couldn't really go back down at this point because I knew the man had already gotten on and would be coming up the stairs. 
so I did the next best thing. I sat in the outside seat directly in front of the bus's camera, which I kept looking at directly, just in case something happened. The man came up the stairs as expected, and he sat at the right back of the bus, but not before looking and smiling at me as he passed. It was then, though, that I had the idea that maybe just saved me. So I live in a quiet street, and it was already dark now, so there was no way that I was getting off this bus at my stop with this man at least. I pulled out my phone and my earbuds. I put one bud in my ear and texted my best friend to play along when I FaceTimed her and informed her of the situation. She understood, and along with some small talk, I talked sort of loudly about how my mum was so mad that I had stayed late at school and that she had texted me saying that she was waiting at the door for me and I had told her that I was only 10 minutes away. In reality, I told my mum that I was staying late in the morning before I left for school and now my mum was at work, 45 minutes away, and so was my dad, about an hour and a half away, with limited access to either of their phones. I was at my stop to get off now and I took a deep breath as I stood up I looked back at the man and he was looking at me as I walked down the stairs. My friend was screen recording at this point just in case something went down. Thankfully he didn't actually follow me down but as I was walking away from the bus I looked back to see him against the back window, hands and fists just sort of staring at me and shaking them. That's when I took my flimsy school shoes off and I sprinted to my house as the next bus stop was still in eyesight. There were two on the main road that led down to my street. Once I was down my street and far enough away that you couldn't see the top of it anymore, I told my friend about him up against the window. She understood, and I put my shoes back on and sped walked the rest of the way to my house. Thankfully, he didn't get off at the next stop and try and follow me or anything, but my family, they still don't know about this even though I was quite proud of myself on how I handled the situation and how I had run with no shoes on, a heavy skirt, and a big rucksack on my back like that. And you know, I don't really know if they ever will know, because as much as I don't want to ever stay late at school ever again, I, I know I probably will have to again at some point, and I don't want my parents to feel guilty about not being able to help if something more serious was to happen while they were at work. But yeah... In the end, everything worked out okay, but it was definitely an unnerving experience. I don't know why he was exactly following me like that, or why he had those closed fists at the end, and staring at me like that, but I can't help but feel like I dodged something that day. Something terrifying. This was over a year ago, so I'm safe now, but this at the time was pretty creepy. So, I'd broken up with my now ex back in January of 2019, and it was my doing. I was angry at everything and had joined Tinder, talked to a guy that seems pretty cool and was quite attractive. I talked to him quite a bit, took a lift down to where he lived... Now, his dad had passed away not too long ago, so he moved back in with his mum to help out. I found that pretty sweet, and so I didn't think anything of it. We took a lift to Walmart and to the liquor store as his mum had requested some wine. I had bought a pizza to bake at their home to make a decent impression, and had purchased her wine, which she gave me cash for despite my protests, again trying to make a good impression. 
This home too was absolutely gorgeous. They had like a, an old timey sort of jukebox thing and the sink taps in the bathroom were installed in the mirrors. What I mean is that the water flowed from a spout in the mirrors. His mum too was as sweet as a southern tea and she also seemed to like me which was great. So this guy had been messaging his lesbian best friend C and explained that he had helped her out after she broke her ankle and such. Again I thought what a nice guy. We drank, we did the naughty, and everything was cool. I had told him that I had borderline before we met up, and I even warned him that I had some scars from previous incidences, but nothing recent. And he said that he was fine with it and understood. The next morning I had an interview at a major company call center, and his mum actually offered to drive me. Really nice lady too, and I did a great job in the interview and was actually offered the job in the end, and I immediately texted this guy to tell him the good news. So one day when I was home and I had slept for about 8 hours, I wake up to a dozen text messages and like over 20 Facebook messages from him. It ranged from, hey how's it going, to this is hard to say, and I saw how the messages progressed as quickly as I scrolled through them and saw the one that said... Uh, something like, uh, those cut marks? Yeah, I wouldn't have dated someone doing this anyway. Most of them are just so pathetic that you need to get some serious help. But might as well keep doing that since it seems to be your only friend and just stuff like that. And I mean, what the heck, right? I blocked him immediately though and then I posted it to my Facebook page so that if anyone knew him they could know what he was actually up to. And it just so happened that I got a friend request from his lesbian best friend, C. She filled me in that she was not a lesbian. She had actually broken up with this guy hours before befriending me. In other words, they were still dating when he had me over. And he told her that I was a lesbian. She also told me that he goes by his middle name. Now, I had done a basic search with the name that he provided and on his Facebook page to make sure that he wasn't a felon or something like that before meeting him. Well, when I did the search with his real first name, sure as the sun comes up in the morning, so many charges were on this thing, including child pornography. He had been actually stalking her, pinging her phone location and messaging her stuff like, oh what, you're going to leave your house now? And he also messaged her just some really nasty things. She had actually gotten the cops involved at this stage. She had sent me screenshots of the messages that he was sending. We talked a bit more and while I'm not a medical professional, it was kind of clear that something was definitely wrong. I mean, he was lying, manipulative, aggressive, angry and obviously his moods would flip faster than mine. I offered to send her what I could of the messages that I had in case she could use them to build a case against him or something. But shortly after this, I get a friend request from a name that I don't recognize. Something generic like Mike or something. Then I get a message. Hey, it's Jay. How's it going? How was your job at insert big company name that I'd been hired at that his mum drove me to the interview of? And man, I was freaked out. Because that meant that... He knew where I worked. Now, the building was secure, but the parking lot, not so much. I got some pepper spray and I called my dad, who has been in the police force and such since before I was even alive. 
and he advised to not carry a baseball bat because if it was wrestled from me that it could be used against me, but pepper spray was a decent choice. He also said that while online bullying isn't really something the police can do much about, if he messages me again though that it goes into the harassment area and it needed to be reported ASAP. I was getting off work after midnight and I was really scared but I parked as close to the building as possible, pepper spray in hand. Fortunately I haven't run into him since and I definitely do not want to meet up with him again. I've also moved since and changed jobs not long after this incident too and I think that for now I'm actually safe. This happened to me, a 23 year old female, and to a good friend that I had, Jenny, when we were both in high school, so probably about 6 years ago. We were 16 and we loved drinking and smoking, but since we were underage, we had spent quite a few nights standing next to a convenience store waiting for an adult stranger who agreed to buy us something to drink and cigarettes with our own money, of course. But the store is in a pretty trafficked part of town. A lot of people come in and out of the cars, buses, pedestrians, pretty much from all over the place. Also, we live in a pretty safe city, pretty much no crime. We can walk at nights, in fact, at 3am without having to worry too much. And I remember this one time where Jenny and I walked to this store to try and buy some cigarettes. It wasn't too late in the evening when we succeeded and sat on a bench next to the store for a smoke. When a strange man looks at us, parks his car and exits the driver's seat to open all of his car doors and stand there. Weirdly too, he was sort of staring at us, at different parts of his car and then at the floor. He looked like he was in his late 50s, frizzy white hair and eyes that look extremely unaware but not frantic or anything. Now, I don't know if most girls are like this. I know I'm not and my logic says that we shouldn't be like this for the most part but I seem to attract girls who are very engaging when a person who screams stranger danger approaches them. Creeps, weirdos, men who just awkwardly disturb us just to hit on one of us even though none of us are interested. But somehow, every good girlfriend that I've had, had this very annoying and may I say unsafe habit to entertain these sorts of harassers. And this man felt incredibly off to me. And I remember Jenny looking at him, then me in a confused look when he walked towards us, a few meters from his car with all of his car doors still open. He stood like two meters away from us and about a meter from his car, starting a babbling monologue about how he lost his phone inside of his car, he thinks perhaps underneath the seat. My heart is beating quickly just from thinking about this too, but he didn't give us a second to respond before asking us to look for it for him. Jenny stands up and starts walking to his car. I don't know much about cars, it was an old grey standard vehicle, not a van or anything, but I yelled, Hey Jen, what are you doing? Don't go inside a strange man's car. The man noticed this and Jenny says, I'm not getting inside, relax. I'm just looking from the outside with a flash camera. He says, no, please, just look inside to find it. She put maybe one foot inside, but I gave her a look and I try to entertain this situation and mostly him so that he would notice that she's inside of his car behind him. So I ask the man, why do you think your phone is underneath the seat anyway? Well, I, I was driving here and heard it ring from somewhere inside the car when my daughter called. I thought it might be inside my pocket or something. And it isn't? 
How would you know that it's your daughter if you lost it? No, uh, it might be in my pocket. I don't know. Can you check? Walks a little closer to me. He had a really confused look, like he sincerely didn't know where his phone was, like he was a kid. No. What? Ew. Why would I check your pocket? You're a grown man. Check it yourself. By this time, Jenny comes back to stand near me as this man is a complete weirdo and is scaring us now. As he continues to ask and beg us to check inside of his car, I just flat out tell him no and that I can call his number for him to see where the ring is coming from if he really wants. The man says that he's out of battery so it wouldn't help, keeps asking to basically crawl into his back seat. Thank God for extreme situational alertness while in situations of stress like this because the next thing I said may have saved Jenny who was completely engaging and stood next to his car for a long while. Hey, so you said your daughter just called you and that you heard it from inside the car? And if you didn't find the phone since then, then you have no way of knowing the status of your battery. And if you did, then you're harassing us, sir, and we're leaving. Good luck finding your phone inside your pocket yourself. Now revisiting this story, I'm aware that there could be reasonable explanations to all of this that could contradict this whole creep guy narrative, sure. Maybe he was just too old to bend over to look for his phone. Maybe this was an emergency and that's why he was so incoherent and anxious to find his phone. Maybe he was out of battery and his speakerphone in his car passed his daughter's next phone call over to the car system. But nothing I can really think of can explain him being so stubborn with wanting us inside the car or the fact that he wanted me to look inside of his pocket so whatever reasons that could make this story less creepy they don't really stand given all the circumstances so before i tell this story i really feel like i should start off with a bit of background info so I'm 22 years old. My dad is an essential worker who works around patients with COVID-19 and as a family, we had decided that it would be best that he not return home for the time being because my mum had recently gotten her hernia removed which had made her immune system pretty weak so we didn't want to put her in any harm's way. My mum is bedridden too so she doesn't move around much. So one day I had stayed up until around 3am watching Prison Break and at this point I'm pretty tired. This whole coronavirus quarantine thing got my schedule all types of messed up so I decided that it would be best if I just sleep right away so I can try to wake up a bit earlier tomorrow morning. I put my phone on charge, I drink a bit of water and then I lay down. I fell asleep pretty much instantly too. I wake up and I try to move my arms but I'm not able to. I can sort of look around, but it doesn't feel like my eyes are moving. It's kind of like when you see something through your peripheral vision. And then I see the black figure to my left, which I've come to befriend from my two or three times seeing him and having sleep paralysis like this. I then close my eyes and exert all the energy that I can into moving and I wake up sweating bullets. It was around 4 in the morning, so I decided that I would just continue to watch a movie or something, so I didn't get much sleep that night. Fast forward to Wednesday night. My mum and I decided to watch an old Indian movie, so I went to lay down on my dad's side of the bed and we started to watch the movie. An hour in, I hear the beep of the safe in my room open. The beep is pretty loud, so anybody could easily hear it. 
Nobody besides my mum and me were home, and even if somebody was able to break in, there was no way that they were able to make it into my room like that. I mean, it would have to go through the living room towards the hallway and go up the stairs to get into my room, so I would have easily seen someone walk past my parents' room, or at least heard them. So I started to panic because my dad's Glock 19 was in there and had some ammo tucked away to the side as well. It was an old-fashioned lock, so it wasn't hackable or anything like that. The only people that knew the code were my dad, my mum and I. But a second later, we hear something drop to the floor. I run to close the room door and open up the lock that was in my parents' room, which had a couple of guns inside. I load up and I get to the move, carefully making my way into my room, trying not to make any noise. My finger was on the trigger the whole time and my heart was pounding. Time also felt like it just had stopped. Normally it would take less than a minute to get to my room, but it took me at least three this time. I looked through every room before I got to mine and as soon as I approached, I heard footsteps inside. I point the gun up and slowly move towards the door so I can see inside. I take a couple of peeks and I don't see anything. Well, I rush inside and I look around and there's nobody. I instantly stand towards the corner so I would be able to see everywhere so no one's able to run up on me. And after about a minute or so I look around and see that my dad's gun was indeed on the floor and the bullets were scattered everywhere. I had some money in the safe, but all of it was still in there. But at this, my mum immediately calls the police. But if there was someone in my room, there's just no way that they could get out without using the door. And there were no vents in my room, no windows, nothing. A little bit creeped out now, I go to my mum's room and she has this scared look on her face. I ask her what's wrong and... She tells me the scariest thing that I've ever heard in my life. She goes on to tell me that while I was gone, she saw me come into the room and stand towards the middle of it with an evil smile. She stares right up at me, then she hears the footsteps and hears me shouting that I was going to be right there. She wipes her tears from her face and then I enter the room and continue to ask her what's wrong. It is the next day now and my mum and I still don't know what the heck happened and we're both still terrified. My mum and I told the police everything when they arrived and they looked around and told us that there were no signs of a break-in of any sort. Strangely though, the lock of my room is a little bit wonky. For some reason it just refuses to close now. We decided to call my uncle and his son to come live with us because we were scared they live only two houses down, so it wasn't too much of a hassle for them. But if any of you guys have any explanation for what happened, then I'm all ears because we have no idea. So my name is Rick Martinez and I'm a retired truck driver. This happened when I was like 30 years old and I'm now 62. So... On the road, I, I see many strange things. I've told this story many times as well. A lot of people don't believe me, but it starts off in Stockton, CA, where I picked up a load of pipe. My destination was Salt Lake City in Utah. I was supposed to refuel in Barstow, CA at a truck stop, but lo and behold, they were out of fuel. 
So I told my supervisor, hey, I got like half a tank of fuel and he told me to continue and hit the first truck stop when I saw it. So a hundred miles into Nevada, nothing but desert, I didn't see anything but sparsely lit desert with a couple of towns. When I noticed my gauge set was actually reading empty and I'm thinking, well, that's not right. So I took the first exit that I saw and I pulled over. I told my supervisor who was right behind me an hour away that I was afraid to continue on and run the tank dry. So he told me to sit still and he would be by in an hour and well, we could siphon some of the fuel from his tanks into mine. So I just sort of sat there and I noticed that it was a small town with pretty sparse lighting. As I sat there I couldn't run the engine so I couldn't really listen to the radio so I just ended up sitting there in silence. I don't do drugs or anything and I didn't make this up but this is what happened. So as I'm sitting there I notice a lot of undone construction, a trailer park to my right completely dark and a church off to my left about a block away with its lights on. It's about two in the morning now and I see this jackrabbit hopping around my truck. It hops around and just sort of stares at me and keeps hopping around. So I'm getting hungry and I notice what looks to be a convenience store another block away from the church. I get out of the truck and I decide to walk to the store. But while I'm walking, I keep hearing this dog howling like it's in pain. As I'm passing the church, the two doors are wide open and I hear clapping like they're having a service or something. As I pass the church, I look inside and there's no one except for this skinny white old man reading from the Bible and talking about hell or something. I don't linger too long though and I pass the church. Then I heard clapping again. About then the dog starts howling again. I notice that there's a bunch of empty houses on this street that goes up a hill. I'm still making my way towards what I think is a little mini-mart or something. All the time the dog keeps howling. All the lights are on. And as I go inside this little old lady with glasses is reading a book. There's hardly anything in this store. Maybe a few cans of food, a couple of bags of chips, water in the refrigerators but that's about it. And strangely, the whole time the lady didn't even pick her head up from her book. So I grab some water and some chips. I'm pretty hungry at this stage and there's basically nothing to eat in my truck. So I asked the old lady, is this all you have and where is everybody at? She told me that everybody moved out and new construction was supposed to begin like six months ago but hadn't. She didn't say anything after that so I just paid her and I walked out and started walking back towards the truck. But again, the whole time I'm walking, this dog is still howling. So as I get closer towards the church, I looked up the street towards where I think the howling's coming from. And I decide to go and see for myself why the dog was howling and if it needs help. There's houses on both sides of the street. and They're all boarded up and dark though. I saw a house with its lights on. It must have had about five foot of fence as well. And when I looked over the fence... I was just in complete shock because what I saw was a man in his underwear with a chain attached to his neck on all fours howling. And man, did the hairs on my arms stick up on end as I saw this other man burst through the back door and kick the man on all fours and yell at him to shut up. The man who was chained ran into a doghouse and I was just in shock and I turned and ran back down the hill to my truck. As I pass the church, both doors are still wide open, but 
there were no lights on anymore and still I could hear this clapping. Finally though, I made it to my truck and called my supervisor and told him what I saw. I told him to hurry up and get here so I can leave. My supervisor asked what exit I was talking about and I told him and he said, oh, I passed that one. He had to turn around and come back to get me, so I'm just sitting there and this rabbit is still hopping around my truck and I'm just sort of watching it. It stopped and looked up at me and all of a sudden I just hear someone say leave. I'm not saying the rabbit said it, but it was weird that the rabbit looked at me and then all I heard was leave. Well, I rolled up the window and waited for my supervisor who showed up five minutes later. I told my supervisor what happened and he just laughed at me and told me that I'm going to have to do a drug test. I didn't sleep on that whole trip to Utah until I got to Salt Lake City. And after that, I never went back to that place. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.